Well, I invite you to turn in the Bible to 2 Corinthians. We continue our series in that particular book of the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 5 and 13 is where we're headed. And then I guess I should say, maybe you should keep one finger there. And then just a little bit further back towards Revelation in your Bible is the book of Hebrews. I, I think it would make sense to also touch on a passage from there in Hebrews 12 in a minute. I'll remind you, if you didn't have a chance to be with us last week, really the two weeks ago is when we started this series. Last week is when I did the, the, the full introduction of this particular book. And again, we're hoping that as we walk through the scriptures, we'll be hearing God's voice, not just what I want to talk about on a particular week, which helps me hopefully to, to share with you more directly what God's word is saying and not hold back from that. It also hopefully helps you receive God's word as God's word and not just the, uh, the uh, soapbox of whoever's up up front. So we're going to work through a book of scripture that way, as we've done in the past. And I'll remind you that last week I did a, a longer introduction. So if you if you missed that message, you can get that online. If, if you want to, you know, just have the regular messages to listen back through to. If you're gone for a week, you can log in and get podcasts and it can download right into your device. That's uh, that's something you can can do for sure. But certainly all our messages are on the Web. You can look those up. And and so one of the things we talked about last week by way of broad themes that I that I will take a moment to touch on this week again, is that is that one of the realities we're going to encounter as we come to Second Corinthians is this overall theme that we're receiving Christ's work, receiving Christ's work through the church for life transformation. And what we said last week, and I think, you know, we'll see each week, is that receiving Christ, that's something we say, yeah, that that sounds good. I like what Jesus has done for me. If you're here, you're probably at least interested in something about Jesus, maybe know Jesus. And then we said that life transformation, most of us are wanting our lives to be better in some way when we talk about, in a biblical sense, uh, growing in Christ, life transformation. But, but the interesting part of that is the middle of the sentence, through the church, receiving Christ's work through the church for life transformation. And so one of the things I mentioned last week that I think is helpful for us as we approach this book of the Bible is the recognition that in our culture, we have a relatively high view of salvation especially in the in the South, but even across all the United States. And and by that, I mean, we would know something. A lot of people would know something about Jesus as our savior, would think that would be good to know Jesus. So that's that's a high thing. On the lower side is our recognition of the blessings and benefit of the church. And, And by that, I don't mean attending church and you all are here. So I'm preaching to the choir a little bit. But I mean the the actual depth of community of the church, the uh, impact of the church, the strength that comes from being part of the body of Christ, even the authority of the church. That's something that in our culture, generally speaking, we don't have nearly as high a, a view of. It's something we probably struggle with a little bit more. So we want to keep that in mind because receiving Christ's work through the church for life transformation sounds real good. But we're probably even today going to realize it looks a little bit different than we than we might think. It's not uh, not always all warm and fuzzy. So that's my general way of introduction. I think in the back of your worship guide, the sermon notes, if you want to turn there, we you know, continue to have those there each week. 
There's uh, not only a map of where Corinth is in Greece, you can see the prominence and importance of it, but there's some key themes listed out there. I won't go through all of those, but as we go through our sermon series, we're going to be unpacking all of those different elements. So it's going to touch on some, some vital biblical realities, and I hope some, some key uh, growth areas for us in our relationship with God as well. So those are some of the key themes you'll, you'll see. And then the last thing I want to say by introduction before we read these few passages is, if you if you're up for it, let's put it that way in the next week, maybe two weeks, you, you can if you've got the, some sort of Bible app on your device, the uh, read scripture app. Won't, I don't think it'll read Bible passages to you uh, out loud, but, you know, the ESV Bible or some other Bible app is they're easy to get. Uh, pull up Second Corinthians and while you're doing your workout or while you're in your commute driving from here to there or headed out shopping or while you're around the house and you've got a little free time, just play that. It, it really takes, believe it or not, just about 35 minutes to go through the whole reading of Second Corinthians. And I don't expect we're all going to pick up a bunch of little details from that. But it'll get you started thinking about the, the, the scriptures. I've been doing that the last month, probably 10 or 12 times, and it's, it really helps get you acclimated. So that's, that's an encouragement as we go through this series. So read along with me. Let's start in Hebrews chapter 12, actually. And we're going to see today in our passage that it relates to the restoring work, the forgiving work of the body of Christ related to a situation where the church and the body of Christ have had a corrective role as a community. And we're going to see what some of that means, but I, I want us to look at what God says about his role correctively in our lives. Maybe it'll set it up a little bit uh, in a helpful way for us as we, as we dive into the specifics of the body of Christ and its role in correcting and helping us grow in the Lord. So Hebrews chapter 12, starting in verse 5, says... And have you forgotten the word, have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? This is quoting from another place in scripture. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he receives. This is picture of family correction. Verse 7, it's for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. Just acknowledging the fact that not all parents do, do it right. Right. But God does it perfectly. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Flip over to Second uh, Corinthians now for the reading from that section, chapter 2, with that context in mind. And I want to introduce one other bit of context. To, we'll look at it later, First Corinthians chapter 5. So First Corinthians chapter 5, there's a corrective action that's taken in the church body towards a pretty serious and overt, obvious sin that, you know, we're all sinners, so it's not surprising there's sin in the church, but that's unrepentant, and it's public and, and obvious. And Paul has urged the church back in 1 Corinthians 5 to do something about it, 
You've got, if you love this person, you actually have to step in and try to help correct them because their, their profession of faith and their living out of their faith are not lining up. So we have that context in mind. This may or may not be referring to the same exact person and situation, but maybe likely is. And so as we read 2 Corinthians, let's keep that in mind. There's been this uh, corrective action taken in the past, and now we're going to see the, the restorative side of that. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 5 through 13 today. Now, if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure, not to put it too severely, to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn and forgive and comfort him. Or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to affirm your love for him, for this is why I wrote. I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. What I have forgiven, I've forgiven. If I've forgiven anything has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we're not ignorant of his designs. And then verse 12 and 13. When I came to Troas, I preached the gospel of Christ, even though the door was open for me. My spirit was not at rest because I did not find my brother Titus there. So I took leave of them and went on to Macedonia. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, it's a lot here. Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and ears to hear good things from your word today. That we would receive what you would teach us about uh, your corrective work and your restorative work. It would be for the benefit and blessing of the body of Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the ambulance sirens begin to sound in the background. You see the flashing lights as it pulls up. Out come the paramedics. They dive in with intensity. Their goal is preserving life. They have to be intentional, maybe even forceful. The first thing they do is kind of obvious. They speak loudly, clearly. Is there something wrong? What's wrong with you? To the individual who's struggling. If the person awakens... Situation might be a little bit embarrassing. The ambulance had to be called, but thank goodness it wasn't any worse. In this case, though, it is worse. More intense care is needed. The paramedics commence with CPR. It's uh, personal, literally breathing air into the lungs of the other person. It's even forceful with the compressions upon the chest, seeking to revive physically this suffering individual. Still not enough. The paramedics don't want to do any more, but more needs to be done, unfortunately. And of course, none of us likes uh, to be shocked with electricity, and it would seem cruel under any other circumstance to apply electricity and high voltage to someone else, but out comes that defibrillator. It's needed in this case, painful though it must be to bring life. It's applied. The charge is put through the individual. And the heart begins to beat again. The lungs begin to fill with air. Life has returned. Life has returned. 
Perhaps this gives us a medical picture of a process that's part of the body of Christ that we don't really talk about all that often because it's not a real warm and fuzzy subject. It's not the easiest one to digest. But this reality that God gives us a role in one another's lives, God gives particularly the church leadership a role in addressing those areas of our life, which, if we're honest and open, any one of us could could get stuck in. And that is a place where the profession of faith we, we make, that we say we know Jesus and we really believe it's vital to walk with Jesus and have relationship with Jesus and to live out that faith. His commandments, we sung early, his commandments, they, they, they didn't have their, their right place. We want to live out his commandments. And yet at times in any of our lives and maybe in some extreme situations for us, we can, we can get off track from those commandments God has given us, that good pathway that he's laid out for us. And we read back in 1 Corinthians chapter 5 that the church is given a corrective role. We know most of the time the church's role and the scripture's role is proactive and it's directive. I'm doing that hopefully every week as I stand up here and share God's word with you. You're hearing good things and you're wrestling with it and thinking, how does that apply to my life? And hopefully we're walking out of here during the week and trying to live that out. Maybe you're reading scripture on your own. You're in a small group or some life group setting or wherever. God's God's working in your life. Maybe you've got a friend in our church body here that you talk about some of the spiritual things that are going on or how those apply to life. And they help to encourage you. And it's it's directive. It's proactive. You're just coming alongside one another. And that's the, the majority of how we see God working. That's the regular pattern. But as uh, Matthew 18 identifies in the scriptures, and you can turn there with me if you want to. It's a, maybe a familiar passage for, for some of us. Matthew 18, starting in verse 15, tells us this, describes the situation, Jesus speaking. says, if your brother sins against you, go to him, tell him his fault. Between you and him alone, if he listens to you, you've gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. If he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In a sense, my paramedic illustration was a a description of that, that process that hopefully is just mutually restorative among one another. And it begins with us removing the log from our own eye before we go to remove the speck from our brothers. And it's looking for for change and transformation in line with the gospel. That's our our hope and our goal. So that's the background of this passage today. The main idea that you'll find in the sermon notes section is this, that just as Christian community, not Christians, Christian community means practicing loving discipline. It also means practicing loving restoration. So what I'm going to do in just a couple of minutes here is to try to give the background of the corrective part of this, the loving discipline, so that we can really understand the beauty and the power of the restorative message that's given here. The message of forgiveness and love and receiving uh, after there's been a corrective uh, needed. So three things I want to talk about first. One is the, the history of what God does through his corrective work. Uh, God's purposes in that, and then the types, the ways that the church pursues it. 
So it's just some background for you. You don't need to, you know, mem- memorize all of this, but uh, hopefully be helpful for you. The, the history of this is that since the early days of the church, this has been part of the body of Christ. You see it here in Matthew uh, 18. You see the Apostle Paul correcting the church in 1 Corinthians 5. But this should be a part of the life of the body of Christ. And uh, ultimately, throughout church history, the understanding of the body of Christ has been that it's, it's like a chair on top of three legs. And that the body of Christ rests on God's word, the sacraments, and discipline. Both proactive and, and corrective, right? So those, those have historically been key three legs. So you pull one of those things out, and you really don't have much of a stable church body, historically speaking. It's interesting. The, you can be thankful we're not in the uh, early 1800s here in Alabama. The, the Baptist churches that I did some study in my academic work on, it's pretty interesting. Their early church practice for gathering, they, of course, had a lot of, often had bivocational preachers and were just establishing new churches uh, across the South. It's hard to picture that today when you have a, a, a large Baptist church and multitudes of Baptist churches on every, every corner. But their, uh, their practice at the time was to only meet once a month on the weekend. Because they didn't have enough preachers and leaders to cover all the new churches that were developing and the expanse of space. And so they, uh, they, they would gather once a month. And it was interesting what they would do on Sunday. Of course, you can guess. They'd have a full day of worship. You know, sometimes you feel like the Cross Creek Church worship service runs a little long. They would just, they were at it all day. Now, the rest of the month, they, you know, they wouldn't have been able to gather at least in that capacity for a, a full-scale worship service. But what's interesting is what they did on Saturday. Imagine this. Saturday, they got together as the body of Christ, and they addressed, you know, what what struggles and what issues they had. They were restoring. They were correcting. Picture that. That'd be an interesting Saturday for us. Not quite as fun as college football in the fall, for sure. That's the history of church discipline, even in our own uh, context. That it was uh, a vital part. It's always been a vital part of the church. The purposes. What are the purposes of this whole corrective and restorative thing? The first one is this, which is kind of a church 101. God's glory. God's glory. And what we mean by this is that God is glorified as a church when we all seek to follow him. When we proclaim the message of grace and free forgiveness in Jesus that we have that we can be cleansed of our sins, but that we also proclaim and work towards the message of transforming grace, that we want our lives to be different. So the glory of God is sought there. And a a church body that's not seeking to live out that transforming work isn't really able to fully glorify God, right? That's the idea. So the glory of God, the purity of the church, that kind of makes sense. Now, again, we know... You know, the minute Chris Peters walks into the church door on Sunday morning, there went the purity level, right? There, there, there it tanked because all of us come with our weaknesses, with our sin, with our uh, flaws. At the same time, though, we know that the body of Christ is a representation of God in the world around us. And that, in fact, a huge part of how we would reach the community around us is by exhibiting godliness. And that the community around us may not understand all the gospel, may not understand God's grace, but it understands whether a life has been transformed or not. Okay, And if our life is headed in very obvious, drastic ways against the transforming work of God's grace, then that, that, that doesn't 
uh, exhibit the purity that God would have to the community around us. And then the third thing, so glory of God, purity of the church is the keeping and reclaiming of believers. Okay, today we're seeing a reclaiming example. Hopefully the, the general pattern is we're just, we're just keeping one another. The biblical paradigm is shepherding like a flock, right? We're, we're trying to uh, stay together as a flock on the pathway to God's kingdom. So that's the, that's the history I share with you, the purposes, and then the types, and then we'll dive into our passage for today. The types of church discipline and correction are pretty, really, they're pretty self-explanatory. The first one that, that uh, often is, is helpful for any of us is what we call admonition, just a big churchy word for speaking to one another and maybe speaking in a very direct way. I would, you know, I would hope, I, I would think probably most of us would, if we've got a brother or sister in Christ and we know they love us, that if they saw us heading in our life on a, on a track that's not so good or failing to head in the good direction that God would have us, that they would love us enough to just at least say, hey, oh, goodness, I am, I am the least likely person to, to even want to talk to you about this. And, and I come to you recognizing my own problems and my own flaws. But I love you enough that I'm, I'm, I just want to ask you, you know, what's going on here in this area of your life? Uh, tell me about that. Help, help me understand that. And in the church setting, it, it would be maybe a more formal or forceful way of speaking to that. Uh, obviously, the next step would be to suspend somebody from, from participating, for instance, in the blessings of the body of Christ, the, the Lord's Supper. And then the last one is the one we hear read about in Matthew 18. And it sounds ominous. You know, we think of the Inquisition back in the Middle Ages or something when we said this word excommunication. That's a, that's a real big church word. Just this idea that, okay, we come into the church by professing our our faith in Christ and our desire to be a member of the church and our readiness to live in light of that. If, in fact, that confession is obviously not bearing fruit in our lives and others have come to us multiple times to seek to help to correct that, then in a sense, we're we're saying if you're if, if you're in that situation, you're saying I'm really not part of the body of Christ anymore. I'm not part of that. And the church basically responds with that affirmation. So these are heavy, heavy things. I remember the story of a, another pastor told me of a church body where they would, when one of these uh, situations was having to be uh, dealt with, and, you know, if it's a public offense, if something happened with me, you would expect that people would say who it is. But in, in this particular case, it was a private matter. So the church was simply just, the pastor was letting people know that uh, there, there had been one of these actions taken with somebody in the, the church body and began to, to describe the, the situation and the individual and what, you know, what they had done and so forth, but without saying the person's name. And, and all of a sudden, three people got up and made their way out of the, out of the church. They, they all thought that they were busted. They all thought that they were in trouble. Oh, isn't that the case uh, for all of us? We really all need one another in our lives. I shared last week that sermon illustration about uh, Muhammad Ali on the airplane and where he says to the stewardess, you know, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she responds back to him and says, Superman don't need no airplane, neither. If we're willing to admit the stuff that we said this morning in our call to confession, that we need Jesus, that we're sinners, we need, I need an airplane. Then, goodness, why is it so hard for us to admit that we need the corrective work, might need the corrective work of the body of Christ? As we think about ourselves and we think about the body of Christ in Corinth a couple of things that seem to be happening here and you can picture how this would play out in a group of of people 
And maybe the pendulum has swung from sort of a a laissez-faire, lackadaisical approach to uh, helping one another live out the body, the the life of of, uh, the Christian life. And maybe that pendulum has swung over to a more stringent approach. Or maybe they got a group of people in the church that tend to be on a little more stringent side. And they've got a group of people that tend to be on the more merciful, you know, let let go and let live side of things. I, I don't know. But you can imagine how that would play out in in first Corinthians five, when you have this person that's in an incestuous relationship, apparently with a mother in law, you can imagine and nobody's doing anything about it or saying anything about it. You can imagine the stringent people pulling their hair out. What is going on? Why, Why are we not addressing this? This is significant. This relates to the glory of God. This relates to the purity of the church. This matters. And then now you can see where the pendulum maybe has swung over or that more, you know, stringent group is 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 adjusted. And now now you have a person that it appears we don't know the details, but it appears that they're ready to be restored. The person's acknowledged now they weren't listening before, but now they've been awakened by that corrective work. And they say, I I, want to connect back with the body of Christ. I acknowledge that I need some change in this way. I want help in that area. And so they're seeking it. But but you can imagine some people have said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to forgive. We're not going to love. We're not going to restore. That's the picture that's going on here. Some of us, maybe we've been in church bodies before and we've seen this practice and we we know that the people trying to do it, we're probably trying to do it well, but it came out harsh. Uh, maybe we've been in other uh, settings where we've seen the, the ball sort of fumbled with it. It's not a perfect thing for us to seek to love one another this way. Take a look with me at Second Corinthians chapter 2, and let's just touch on a couple of things. We've just got three or four minutes left, but we'll take a look at what we, what we can. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is talking to the body of Christ there. It's interesting, just as a broader context, this whole chapter that we've been looking at so far, it's all about relationships and the body of Christ being about relationships. You go back to chapter one. We saw Paul talking about the suffering that the church dealt with and how through that suffering, then they could be a vessel of comfort to others. They'd been through struggle so they could be a blessing to others. Last week, we saw the Apostle Paul, people were very critical of him and his leadership and how he's acting. And we see him trying to relate to them and, and share why he's doing what he's doing. And then today we see this relational element of restoration. And if you look with me at verse five, it says this. It says, now, if anyone has caused pain, he's caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. What's that talking about? Well, it's just talking about the fact that, you know, if um, if you or I is a, a, an angry person, has a significant problem with anger, that's going to bleed over into lives of people around us. If we're a greedy person, just focused in on material things, that's going to affect the life of the people around us. If we're a, a lustful person caught up in that, that's going to affect and shape the lives of the people around us. If we're self-righteous, we think we've got it all together, sort of look down our noses at other people, it's going to impact those around us. The Apostle Paul is just saying, yeah, this has affected all of us. We're all impacted by it. goes on, verse 6 says, For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. But what is Paul saying? He seems to be saying, okay, we reached a point where it's time for restoration. 
the individual involved seems to be ready to be restored and saying, I, I, I now want transformation. I'm now ready for that. I'm ready to listen to the body of Christ speaking to me. It goes on in verse 7, then it says, you should rather turn and forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow, right? We've all experienced that in relationships, probably one-on-one, where there's been some sort of tension or issue. And then you come back and hopefully you, you apologize and you have the opportunity to extend forgiveness. And, and you know if you don't have that, then it's sorrowful. It's a sad thing, the Apostle Paul is telling us here. It goes on and it talks about that forgiveness and obedience. And then it comes down into verse 11 and says, So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. What are the three things that the evil one loves to do? Anybody remember those? They're good to remember because then we can better watch out for them. Steal, kill, and destroy. Those are things the evil one loves to do. And the Apostle Paul is reminding us that he can do that in the church body by us failing to correct when we need to correct. And he can also do that by us failing to restore when it's time to restore as well. Either things the evil one can use. The Apostle Paul gives us a beautiful picture there. I'm not even going to touch on verses 12 and 13 other than to say that you see another example of Paul cherishing relationships. Let me close with, uh, with this as maybe a picture for us. You know, the, the hospital patient that goes in with the heart attack and is hauled off in the, the ambulance and has that time in the, in the hospital, that's, I mean, there's not much that's pleasant about that, right? But picture with me the other side of things. When that person is released from the hospital, comes on home, their heart is, is, is back, restored. And out in front of the house is a big banner that uh, the kids have made or the grandkids have made. Welcome home. So glad you're home. We're, we're glad you're better. Now, there's... You know, cards that people have, maybe little gifts, maybe people brought over some food to say, we're so glad that, that you're back. We're glad that you're back home. That's a picture, I think, of what the Apostle Paul has given us in Second uh, Corinthians and how the body of Christ can really be a blessing. Yeah, on the corrective side, but so, so much more in a way on the restorative side. Uh, Let's seek to be that body of Christ in, in the lives of one another, in our personal relationships too, right? Maybe it's not a formal process of, of uh, struggle and interaction, but seeking to, to show love and grace that way. Uh, we can't do it on our own power. We've got to have the Lord's strength to do it. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your correcting hand. It tells us in Hebrews we read that you're a loving father who works in our lives that way. And Lord, we don't always receive it well any more than our uh, kids receive their correction well, even though it's needed. Lord, we know that parents don't do that correcting work perfectly. The body of Christ doesn't do it. The church leadership doesn't do it perfectly. We know that uh, you're perfect. And your correcting work in our lives. So, Lord, we pray that we'd receive that today, wherever you are doing that in small ways in us. 
And then, Lord, we pray that we'd be mindful of your desire to have your glory lifted up in the church. To have your church be a, a pure body. And, Lord, of the blessing of being kept and, if necessary, reclaimed as the body of Christ. And, Lord, that we'd welcome that. We'd seek it. We would desire it. Because we want to know you. And we want to walk in a way that glorifies you. And we know how damaging it is to ourselves and others if we'd walk out of that path. So, Lord, help us to welcome that. Help us to seek it. Help us to love the way you work through your body. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.